Let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, Kevin Woodley, In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. How's it going, Kevin? It's going good, boys. It's going good. Happy to be on with you. Yeah, happy to happy to have you on. Uh, we were just kind of like uh, talking about how fun Connor Garland is. Do you, you have a thought on Connor Garland early in his uh, Canucks tenure? He's a Marc Andre Fleury of uh, of forwards. Like he just he had like I think he has fun out there. A little more edge, although he saw Flower put Jeff Carter in a headlock last night. That was so, pretty good. <laughs> you know, clearly he's channel. Maybe he's channeling his angry elf. I don't know. They're just. <laughs> You know, like it's it's funny because not to put this all back to goaltending, but you know, as Faber's probably shaking his head right now, that's what I do. Yes, um, he is shaking Mark, his head. Yeah, yeah Mark Andre Fleury is a guy that will tell you, like, if he's not having fun, like that is a foundational part of him having success in the NHL. You guys, you've all been in the games. You watch the pre the warm ups at six thirty. They come out, they do their lines. Everybody's looking for lines, but at the end, they play a game called Last Puck where basically everybody gathers around the net and the backup goalie goes in and they throw a puck at the net and it's a mad scramble. And I think it's like a time on the clock and every team is different. But it basically, if the goalie wins, if he can keep the puck out in this mad scramble until the clock hits a certain time. And the players win and everybody skates off if they score. And Marc-Andre Fleury plays that game as the starter. He's the only guy in the league to do it because that's how important it is for him to be out there smiling and having fun. Like, it's it's core to his success and I think Garland's got a little bit of that his fun may be a little more naughty um you know not to stick with the uh, good bad elf thing but um you know like he he just seems to thrive in that role and and the spinning and the, you know I'm telling you there you go he's the Marc-Andre Fleury of forwards and that's it. a compliment no I, I totally get it that's great and before we, we uh fully immerse ourselves in the goalie conversation uh, you know building off garland for a second and how the canucks are playing it seems like at least the last few games on totality they've done a bit better as far as their even strength play goes they have created some better chances and all that sort of stuff but digging into some of the numbers that you have access to with clear sites analytics how's how's that looking as far as the canucks generating chances and trading chances with other teams right now Okay, so I would I would say that overall, over the past few games, that them getting chances, yeah. You know, the Rangers, they had nine high-percentage chances. And let's not forget, the Rangers may be one of the few teams in the league that still is as bad defensively as Vancouver. So, um, you know, they, Nashville, six. Dallas, again, they're up there with eight, and they scored on three of them. Um, and again, this includes five-on-five. Five, but last night in a game that I think a lot of people would have looked at as the Canucks dominating and getting John Gibson, what if I told you that the high percentage chances, according to ClearSight Analytics, were 10 for the Anaheim Ducks and just five for the Vancouver Canucks? And that includes overtime. The two breakaways account for five, two of those five high percentage chances. They are getting volume. They are still not generating quality. A lot of mid-percentage chances you know, and mid-percentages, kind of shots that are between 9 and 19%, and high-percentage high chances, anything that tends to go in more than 20% of the time, they're still not creating enough of those. Out of the 38 chances last night, 25 were low percentage. So um, they have been better overall, but I think it can get, you know, it, it, you can, it can get really easy to look at a game like last night and go, oh, that was all about John Gibson. And when you really break down the numbers and what quantifies a high percentage chance, what generates scoring, we talked about this when they couldn't score early, like those lateral plays and one touches and things like that, um, they're still not generating, especially last night, despite the recent trend, as much as you'd like them to. And they're still giving up, you know, a lot. Um, We talked about this earlier in the season. Coming off that road trip, they were like second in the league in high-danger rush chances against. They're down to 30th. 
They're down to 29th overall in high, high danger chances against per game in terms of expected goals. Like, so they're making strides, but I think the overall swing, according to the numbers, at least the numbers I have access to, and they're proprietary, and you know, I know some people may turn their nose up at that, but uh, a lot of teams trust them. Uh, don't indicate that swing as maybe as wide as some of the eye tests may indicate in the past couple of games, and the last night in particular. Well, you mentioned, you know, John Gibson, and there was moments where the shot totals were going up, but he looked pretty comfortable for most of the night as well. You know, it seemed like he was kind of nonchalant about some of those saves because the degree of difficulty, as you mentioned, maybe wasn't the highest. But, you know, going back a couple of years, he has been a bit of a Canuck killer. And when you want to, you know, beat this guy, what's the key here? Because the Canucks do have him on this road trip as well. And if he's playing, how do you beat John Gibson? It feels like the Canucks have had trouble doing that the last two or three years. Well, you've saw take away his eyes, and that's the that's the cliche to sort of beat any goaltender, and it's true, right? Like, can't see it, can't stop it. Um, but it's also quite often pretty hard to get shots through when you've got layered screens and multiple you know multiple players between the guy shooting and the net. So it's not an easy thing to do. And that's the other thing I think the Canucks did do a better job of on this homestand is trying to create those types of chances. And you saw skilled players like Pedersen posting in through a bunch of traffic and, and layered screens, guys like one body. Most goalies can manage one body standing right in front of him. Uh, it's when you create multiple layers of screens and make it that much more difficult, force him to pick a side, short side, middle, um, catch him moving to a short side, switching where his eyes are located, how he's looking around a screen as you're releasing it, things like that that can add difficulty. Like not all screens are created equal, and ClearSight measures them all differently, and layered screens is one of the toughest ones to shot that can, uh, to stop. That can go up into a high percentage chance, even if the puck's coming from the point. So um, they have done a better job of that. I think the other thing with Gibby is you gotta, you've got to make him move left and right. Um, even on the breakaways, uh, and, and again, some of this was dictated by back pressure, but straight line chances. Um, you know, Gibson, Gibson's a really good goaltender. And if you're coming at him in straight lines, uh, I like his odds more often than not. You really do need to him where he can get, and this leads to some of the injury issues he's had in the past, he can really open himself up on lateral movements. You'll see a lot of sort of counter rotation, a lot of maybe early reaching, and sort of he gets pulled apart a little bit. And that's, again, the injuries. He pulls himself apart as he moves left to right. Uh, and get himself spread out, and that makes him really good on the first save because he's still, you know, really athletic and really flexible. He can give you some really great Gumby moments making that first save, but usually spreads himself out to the point where it's tougher to recover and get into second save. So, again, lateral plays and behind the net. Um, make him work low, high. Make him pick a side, not just in terms of screens, but looking over his shoulder behind the net. Um, those are things that I think in general – you would try to use to create better offense. And we've talked about this in the past few weeks as ways they can create more dangerous chances. Uh, but with Gibby in particular, um, he's not, it's not that he's not technically sound, but like, that's not his, that's not his strength. So, you know, make him move in and out of his post, make him play pucks behind his net. Uh, and if you can create chances laterally. And like I said, the fact they only had five high danger last night tells me they weren't moving the puck East West nearly enough on him, at least not leading to shots. It is uh, Kevin Woodley joins us weekly on the People's Show in Goal Magazine and NHL.com. Yaroslav Alok has been uh, really good for the Canucks, and I felt like at, at times uh, he can be a bit wild, maybe a bit unconventional it feels like with some of the, the big saves that he has made, but I've kind of liked him. It, it, 
What is the contrast you see between uh, Halak and uh, Thatcher Demko for the Canucks, at least in a technique sort of way? It's really interesting because, um, well, two things. One, let's first start off with his performance to date so far. I was a little bit surprised um, when I looked up sort of adjusted save percentage on ClearSight this morning. After last night's game, like he's tied for sixth in the NHL. He's like a full three and a – that's not going to show up in expected goals because it's a much smaller sample size, and that's a, that's a sort of totality stat, right? Like you need to get lots of games to build those up. But on a sort of shot-by-shot basis, compared to expected save percentage, he's three and a half percent above that. That's like, that's like just a tick below Jacob Markstrom and Jordan – tied with Jordan Bennington for top five in the National Hockey League right now. So results have been really good for him early. It is also interesting, too, that it feels watching him like he is a little more out of control. Uh, he looks a little more off balance. There are a few more loose pucks. And I do think that that really is just a product of how spoiled we've been watching Thatcher Demko and even Jacob Markstrom before him. Because if you talk to goalies, you talk to goalies and goalie people around the league about what Yaroslav Halak is, it's not aggressive. It's sort of a positional three-quarter depth technically sound goaltender who always sort of keeps himself in good spots, nice upright chest. Like for not a big goaltender, he plays big, plays wide in his stance, but still presents tall um, and manages to make sure he's in the middle of the net and forces you to beat him with great shots. And it's not always clean, but he's always going to get a piece of things and reads the game really well. And yet compared to Demko, it does feel a little bit out of control. Now, some of that is the post play. And again, that favors probably his eyes are rolling back in his head as I talk post integration. But when Yarrow has not been able to make the changes that we've seen Demko make, Markstrom make, and Holtby try to make, um, they, they really haven't tried to hammer those on him. You'll see him go into his posts with the shin of his pad against the post. So his like, whole skate and bottom of his pad is actually inside the net, whereas a guy like Demko hits it with the, the bottom of his pad on there every time. Um, Yarrow doesn't have that flexibility to seal that short side post. Uh, if he has his skate or the bottom of his pad against it, he can't get his body back against that post yet, so he goes with his shin. It's kind of a thing that uh, Tuka Rask is really famous for in Boston and really effective with uh, in terms of bumping off the shin. But it's not as controlled. It doesn't look as controlled. It can get a little more scrambly. And, it, and, and we all see that, right? As Canucks fans that watch these games, that's how it feels to us. And the irony is he's a guy who's known for control and calm and positionally sound play. It's just that that's how good Thatcher Demko is moving right now, that Yaroslav Halak looks more out of control. And it really is a credit to the elite, elite level that Demko is moving around his crease. Like, he is never behind a play. And I think that's more, that speaks more to why it looks that way for, for Halak mm-hmm. than it is about Halak being this wild, out-of-control goaltender, because that's certainly not the case in terms of how he's regarded around the league and how he's sort of been regarded throughout his career. That is an interesting juxtaposition, kind of seeing how jarring it is, how different it is. And, and it's interesting because you look at Demko's traditional save percentage, is 918. 
right? And, you know, that's pretty low as far as compared to the top-end goalies so far this year. Some people will point to that and say, well, is Demko actually playing all that well? I think he is, but, you know, how good do you think Demko has been this year? Because sometimes, you know, we talk about this all the time. This was the case with Jacob Markstrom because the save percentage wasn't near the top as far as league leaders went, but considering his environment, he was easily a top two or three goaltender. Are we seeing something similar here with Demko as far as the save percentage not really justifying what he's truly doing on the ice? Yeah, it's so funny because I get so deep into the adjusted stuff that yeah. I almost forget to look at the raw save percentage. So what did you say that Demko's was? And what can you guys tell me off the top of your head what James Reimer is? Because I know we were going to talk about yeah, him today. Reimer is 946. Demko is 918. Okay, so in adjusted numbers, guys, they're basically neck and neck. Reimer is 2.6% above expected and Demko's is 2 and. 2.5%. So they're like 16th and 17th in the league right now. And actually, it's actually probably higher than that because there's a bunch of really small sample size goalies in there that are clouding those numbers. So when I just sort quickly for sample size, try 12th and 13th in the league amongst guys who have seen 100 chances. So you look at James Reimer with those numbers and you're like, oh my God, he's one of the best goaltenders in the league. And that's your Demko. It's like, ah, you know, yeah, it's above league average, but nah, it's not that great. Guys, they're, they're, you know, compared to their environments, they're playing very similarly right now. And, you know, I, I think that's why the raw numbers are so tough to judge goaltenders by because no environment is the same. The Sharks are playing great defensively, even more so in front of Reimer than they are in front of Aiden Hill. And we know what the Canucks are defensively. We've seen after that road trip how they've loosened up, the chances they're giving up here at home, the types of saves Demko was forced to make. And this is why I'm so grateful to have access to ClearSight Analytics, not to pump their tires too hard today. But I can't, like, we watch the Canucks, so we know this. We watch teams that come in here. You, no one, no one can watch every game of every team and be able to sort of objectively qualify these things. And so that's why it's nice to have this ability to sort of look at, you know, <laughs> goaltending never exists in a vacuum. Defensive environment is massive to how a goaltender performs. And so you can look at those raw numbers and be like, James Reimer's a better goaltender than Thatcher Demko. Well, James Reimer's not going to be on the Canadian Olympic team. He's playing great right now, by the way. This is not a, a James Reimer slag. You guys should know I'm a huge fan. Yeah. I've gotten to know him in the summers. But, like, he's not going to be on the Olympic team, and Thatcher Demko, the way he's playing, should absolutely be in the running for the U.S. team. Okay, staying in the Pacific Division, though, uh, the L.A. Kings have won six straight games, and Jonathan Quick's at a 924 save percentage. Is he officially back? See, and there, there's another perfect example. I, I watched that game against uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs the other day, and he, and he had a really good game. And, and yet again, um, you know, and, and uh, I'll point to Mike McKenna, who did a really good job of breaking this down. There's a tendency in his game, I think nine of the 16 he's given up this year, McKenna had, you know, he's dropping paddle down on low-high plays and really not giving himself a chance, like just needlessly and not giving himself a chance to get out and make those saves. And, you know, so there's something where it's a fair criticism of him. Um, at the end of the day, when I look at the numbers in totality, uh, there's another example where not only is Jonathan Quick not necessarily back, unless by back you mean just playing at league average level, he's actually underperforming Cal Peterson, who on that same broadcast I heard talk about, you know, Jonathan Quick restating his, cre you know, his claim to the number one goaltending job in L.A. Well, the reality is Jonathan Quick's playing in front of a 906 save percentage defense. And behind the same team, and sometimes this can be about puck handling, but in Quick's case, that's absolutely not it. To me, this is just small sample size, who you played an opponent at this point. 
Cal Peterson's expected is like a full 20 points below at 887. So, again, raw numbers would paint the picture that Jonathan Quick is back and he's outperforming Cal Peterson and he's amongst the top goaltenders in the league. Adjusted for the types of chances he's facing, and he's actually 30th, and he's actually second still on his own team. So um, there are some guys around the league that I that I, I do think as surprises, uh, I, and I talked about James Reimer, very favorable environment, but he's also outperforming it so far. In this case, um, no, I, I don't know that I'm ready to say that Jonathan Quick is back. Even after watching that game against Toronto and seeing a lot of positives, the reality is he's played behind a pretty easy environment, and he's just basically doing what he's expected to do. And that's actually an improvement in past, you know, from the past couple of years for Quickie, um, but it's not to the point where we should be talking, as I heard on the broadcast last night, about, hey, maybe he should be in the running for the U.S. Olympic team. Uh, it is Kevin Woodley. Uh, final thing, uh, Canucks are going up against Colorado on Thursday. Not been a great start for the Avalanche. Is that at all due to their uh, new goaltender? A little bit of both. Uh, they've, I mean, obviously there's personnel changes. They've run into injuries. There won't be McKinnon there tomorrow. But I think defensively, like the Avs were so good last year that it was really easy to overlook how much of that was in their own end. They were one of the top three teams in the league defensively in terms of, again, you guys hear me talk a lot about high danger chances, high percentage chances. Those are the ones that end up going in the net. Like that's the teams that prevent those tend to do the best in the playoffs over the past three years. We've got a pretty strong correlation between that stat and playoff success. The Colorado Avalanche were a top three team last year in terms of that. This year, they're down to 14th. So they've slipped defensively, but I think Darcy Kemper's expectations were pretty high for him. And he's still, you know, he's still playing behind a relatively high expected save percentage, and he's barely outperforming it. So um, he was coming from a team in Arizona that, for all their faults, was pretty good defensively in the years that he was there, and the numbers sort of bear that out. That was the focus under Rick Tockett. And I kind of thought that the transition to Colorado would be easy for him um, because he was used to, you know, that type of environment. Not a lot of shots. Um, you know, that's not easy for all goalies. I thought this would be an easier transition for him. It hasn't been. Um, but it's not just because the Avs are terrible defensively. Uh, again, his expected save percentage compared to last year in Arizona is actually um, higher. It's the 19th highest in the league, but as a result so far, uh, are just actually slightly below expected. He's like 50th in the league right now. So that's goaltending there hasn't been good enough. They're missing Pavel Francouz, who I thought was going to be a breakout candidate this year, coming off the injury last year. But he didn't even last a game before getting hurt again. Now they're down to Darcy Kemper trying to get used to a new team. Jonas Johansson, who just has not been able to sort of keep up at the NHL level. And, you know, a lot of sort of disappointment relative to expectation, both in terms of team and the environment those guys are in. And it's, it's a really interesting juxtaposition, and it goes to show you that for all the numbers I spew and all the numbers I have access to, and, and these things really do dig deep, like right down to different types of chances, we still can't perfectly measure how one guy's going to do from one environment to the next. And we're seeing this with Marc-Andre Fleury. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I pricked it, I called it. Chicago's a terrible defensive team. They give up all these chances, and he's going to struggle. Well, yeah, he's struggled. But what if I told you the goalie who's faced the most high-danger chances in the league actually plays for the team that Marc-Andre Fleury left in Robin Lehner? 
And last year it was similar case. Like Fleury faced a ton of high danger chances with the Vegas Golden Knights. He was number one in the league in terms of his performance against those types of chances. He saved over 18 goals. Well, this year he's facing a similar number in Chicago, and he's worst in the league. He's like six below expected on high danger chances. So what changes? Even when you give up good looks, and every team's going to, there are different degrees of predictability. Being able to trust where that look is going to come from and know that, yeah, we're giving up this pass and this guy's going to be open, but I can challenge him because my guy's got that backdoor seam and I don't have to worry about it. And being able to, especially when you're as aggressive and assertive positionally as Marc-Andre Fleury, being able to get out and challenge that guy and have faith that he's not going to be able to make another pass or that your defenseman's going to break that up if he does, compared to now where he can't, doesn't have that trust and the number of times he's getting sort of double royal roaded and backdoor seams, like that makes a difference. So um, I thought he'd have more. This is me making excuses for incorrectly predicting that Fleury would be fine in Chicago, but it just goes to show you that, you know, it's not just about, hey, one team's good defensively and one isn't. Vegas wasn't good defensively either, and he was fine there because the environment, despite giving up chances, was predictable. Now they're giving up chances in Chicago, and he doesn't trust where they're coming from, and he's all over the place chasing it. Although, again, with time and with more of a chance to sort of settle into that trust and knowing, hey, this guy's going to be here. I can trust him. I don't have to cheat off this. You're starting to see him settle in a little better this past week or so. And, hey, that might bode well for Canada at the Olympics because outside of him and Jordan Bennington, there's not a lot of options. Kevin, we appreciate the time as always. We'll be talking soon. Thanks, guys.